There's a funny thing about us human folk. If you give any person a story and you leave out some of the details, they will fill in the gaps. It's what we do, filling in the gaps. When we don't have all the facts, we just go right on ahead and we make up the rest all by ourselves. Many of you know Evan Moylan. Evan used to serve as the executive director of Luther Hill and he now works for the Lutheran Foundation of the Southwest. And Evan tells a story about when he started his ministry at Arizona State University in Phoenix. Evan was not ordained, but he served as the director of the campus ministries at ASU. He was the Lutheran campus pastor there on that campus. So Evan was new to this position, and he had just moved to Phoenix from New Hampshire. And as he settled into his position, he was out for lunch with members of his campus ministry board. He had met them at the campus and driven out into town and gone to lunch with them. These were the people who signed his check every month, right? These are the people who made that ministry happen, that campus ministry board. So Evan is driving back from lunch with those board members in the car with him when he sees those familiar blue lights in his rearview mirror. And Evan realized that he still had New Hampshire plates on his car as the Arizona state trooper pulled him over. And the officer walks up to his window and he asks for Evan's license and insurance, which Evan hands over. And the officer looks at Evan's New Hampshire driver's license. And he looks at Evan. He looks at the license. And he looks at Evan. And he says exactly what you'd expect. You sure are a long way from home. Yes, sir, says Evan. And what is it that brings you to Arizona, asks the officer. And Evan proceeds to explain that he is the new campus pastor over at ASU and he's just arrived in town. At which point the, Evan, the, the officer looks at the license again, looks at Evan, looks at the license, and hands Evan back his driver's license and says to him, You have a good day now, Father. He gets back to his cruiser. He had filled in the gaps. He had answered the question that was not asked. What denomination did Evan serve in? He just assumed that Evan was a Roman Catholic priest and filled in his gaps. And so in his mind, as a good Roman Catholic, he had given the new priest in town a break and perhaps he didn't have to go to Mass that Saturday. It's what we do. We fill in the gaps. When we don't have all the facts, we make them up. And one of the gaps that I encounter more often than any other is the one that we encounter in each one of this morning's readings. And I bet that you've heard people try to fill in this gap. Why do people suffer? Why do people suffer? Why do good things happen to bad people? And why do good things so often seem to happen to terrible people? Why do people suffer? So what have you heard? What are some of the ways that you've heard people fill this gap? Why do people suffer? Sin, that's a common one. 
God is testing you. God is seeing just how strong your faith happens. Stuff happens. Things just happen in life. It's the way the world works. God does it to teach us. There are lots of answers to that question. Why do people suffer? Aren't there? They don't necessarily all fit together. In fact, as you look at this morning's readings, they even don't seem to agree with one another. First, we have St. Paul. St. Paul, who is writing to the Corinthians where they've been fighting with one another. When he talks about all those sorts of people who have sinned and then face the dark, dire consequences of those sins, right? They did bad, and then bad things happened to them. Paul seems... If our question is, why do people suffer? Paul seems to be agreeing with the prevailing view of his day that when, bad, when people do bad things, when they sin, when they are immoral, then bad things will happen to them. Most of the ancient world agreed with Paul on this point. If you suffer in some way, if you were ill, if your loved ones were dying, if there was not enough rain for your crops... If you were suffering in some way, the assumption was that you had done something to deserve it. So go off, they would tell you. Go off and confess your sins and maybe then your life will be better. Now, maybe pastors shouldn't say this, but I will. I would just as soon not have this in the Bible. I wouldn't mind taking a pair of scissors to this particular passage because I hate that way of thinking. It's not okay with me. And it's not the God that I know. I mean, is it okay with you? Have any of you, go ahead, raise your hands. Have any of you had a loved one die of cancer? Keep them up. And have any of you struggled with illness in your life or in your family? Anyone dealt with someone injured in an accident? Now, Do you like the answer, they deserve it, they had it coming, because of the way they live? Is that okay with you? How long would you continue to talk with someone as you're in pain and suffering, if they came up to you and said, hey, you deserve it, you had it coming. Repent. Does that sound like the God that you know? Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Paul is not answering the question, why do people suffer? Paul is answering the question, what happens when you sin? And the answer is, very often, there are, in fact, consequences for our actions. We have lots of teachers in this room. Isn't that one of those central things that we teach our kids, or we try to anyway? That if you do stupid things, sooner or later, somebody's going to get hurt. Actions have consequences. The things we say and we do, they affect our lives and the lives of others. Paul is pointing out, I think this morning, that sometimes our sins do have consequences. That sometimes, when we treat people hatefully, it's actually going to have an effect on how people deal with us. Sometimes when we gossip and we talk about others, it's going to come back and bite us. Sometimes when we sin and we fall short, we pay the consequences. That's not God. 
That's not God's punishment for us. That's just life. That's cause and effect. But we fill in the gaps. And we answer the question that we want answered. Even if it's not the one Paul is talking about. Why do people suffer? And then we come to the gospel today. And Jesus, Jesus is out preaching as we come into Luke's gospel today. And so people come to him and they ask him about this very thing. They want to know the same thing that you and I want to know. Two things had happened recently. This was the, the breaking news of the day, the CNN ticker on the bottom of the screen. First, there were a group of Galileans, and Galileans were not just people who happened to be from the same region that you and I are familiar with because it's the region Jesus was from. Galileans were zealots, were revolutionaries, were troublemakers. They were protesting against the government of Rome. They were sort of like the Occupy Wall Street of ancient Israel. And Pilate had had enough. Pilate had had enough and he had them killed. And he didn't just have them killed. He had them killed on the temple grounds, desecrating them and their bodies and desecrating also the temple grounds all in one fell swoop. So like they say, if you can call your government fascist and live to tell about it, you probably don't have a fascist government. And so these people protested against Rome and, and they paid the price for that protest. And people wanted to know, since... Since we all know that people suffer because of their sins, what was their sin, the Galileans? What had they done wrong? Or then, there were people walking through Old Town to Jerusalem. Only they didn't call it that, right? It was just Jerusalem. And so there were these people walking through Jerusalem when one of those tall stone towers fell over and just collapsed on top of them, killing 18 people. Walking along one minute and dead the next. What was their sin? What did they do to deserve it? Do you notice what Jesus says? Jesus follows in the great tradition of the rabbis. When he doesn't answer the question, but instead asks the crowd another. Why did they suffer? Asked the crowds. Were their sins any worse than yours? Asked Jesus in reply. Do they, asked Jesus, do they deserve any worse than you? Think of all the people who are suffering in this world. Those people without enough food. Those people suffering from illness. People suffering from war. People dealing with injuries. Do you really believe? Jesus wants to know, do you really believe that they are worse sinners than you? Jesus' answer is a pretty clear no. Jesus very clearly says, no, but rather do you really believe that they're worse than you? Because they're not. They're not worse than you. They're not worse than me. That's Jesus' answer. Are you perfect? Notice, notice something here. Like Paul, Jesus doesn't answer the question of why people suffer. 
if we think that he did, we're just filling in the gaps. Both Jesus and Paul are less concerned with what causes suffering than they are with what we are going to do next. Less concerned with what causes suffering than what they are with what we are going to do about suffering. Less concerned with looking backwards, looking for a cause, than they are with looking forward and looking for a solution. Paul asks us, invites us to look at our actions and ask ourselves, what are the consequences for how we're living? What are the consequences for how we are living? God is not out to get you. God does not have a scorecard, and if you don't get a passing grade, then you better get lightning insurance. That's not the way God works, despite how often we hear that kind of thinking. What are we doing, Paul wants to know, that will come back to bite us? Not because God's out to get us, but because that's cause and effect. And then Jesus comes along. Jesus comes along and says, no, no, no. It's not that they deserve to suffer, because if they deserve to suffer, then guess who else deserves it? You and you and you and you and all of us. If God is in the business of giving people exactly what they deserve, then you and I are in trouble. If God is in the business of striking down sinners, we are all in trouble. Every one of us. If sin is what causes people to fall ill, then we don't have enough hospitals. But no, says Jesus. No, they are not worse sinners than you. It's kind of unfortunate, really. We kind of enjoy that, don't we? Kind of enjoy elbowing the person next to us and saying, Hey, did you hear about what he did? It feels good sometimes. I'm not going to lie. But Jesus says no. No, the reality is that they are no worse than you. And if they deserve to suffer, then then you deserve to suffer. So think twice before you blame them for what happened to them. Think twice before you say that they got what they deserved. Think twice before you say that Katrina happened to New Orleans for a reason. Or think twice before you say the earthquake happened to Haiti for a reason. Or think twice before you say whatever disaster comes next happens to the people it happened to because they deserved it. Because they say, Jesus, are no worse than you. God doesn't work that way. Or we'd all be wiped off the face of the earth. God doesn't work that way. The myth, the lie, the lie that people get what they deserve has been put to death on the cross. There, There, where the only righteous person ever died. There, where the Son of God died. There is the end of the lie that if you're just good enough, then good things will happen to you. If you just are faithful enough, then your life will be easy. If you just love God enough or read your Bible enough or pray the right prayer, then good things will just be poured out upon you. To all that, the answer is the cross. 
The prophet Isaiah said it this way this morning. As high as the heavens are from the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Remember that. Write it on your hearts. As high as the heavens are from the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And the next time that some preacher or a politician or anyone else wants to tell you that they know what God is thinking, remember it. And anytime any someone tells you that they know why God did whatever it is that happened in this world, remember it. As high as the heavens are from the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. No, says Jesus. No, they are not. Worse sinners than you. But, but what are you going to do? That's his question. Jesus is not concerned with who is to blame. He wants to know who is going to fix it. He's not concerned with what happened yesterday, but what will happen today and tomorrow. Not who is at fault, but who is the solution. Not what went wrong, but what can you and I do right. He goes on to tell a story. One of the great parables of Scripture. And it's a story of a landowner who was upset. This landowner had a fig tree, and the fig tree wasn't giving him any figs. And what use is that, right? A fig tree with no figs. It's sort of like a pecan tree with no pecans. Useless. Pointless. Obnoxious, really. So he goes off to cut it down, this useless, fruitless tree. But the gardener says no. The gardener says, give me one more year. Give me a chance to fertilize it, and I can help it. Give it one more chance. It ends there with one more chance. And in this parable, you and I, we are the tree. And what are the fruits of, of a Christian, of a disciple, of a follower of Jesus? Right? Paul tells us things like patience, love, joy, peace, gentleness, generosity, and faithfulness. Or to boil it all down, they shall know that we are Christians by our love. And too often they don't. Too often we are fruitless. We trees in God's garden. We are fruitless. And Jesus is our gardener pleading for us for one more chance, for one more year, for one more opportunity to bear fruit. That is Jesus' answer to suffering in this world. Bear fruit. Here is your chance. One more chance. One more year. Now is the time. Jesus is not concerned with who is to blame. He wants to know what are you going to do? What are you going to do to make the world more loving? To make this world more peaceful? To make this world more kind? We have one more year. One more chance. One more opportunity. What will we do with this chance? With this year? What will we do this year, tomorrow, today, in this moment? What will we do to show God's love to everyone and every person that we meet? Despite what some people will tell you, the Bible doesn't answer every question that we might have. And that's frustrating. 
Lord knows I wish it did. It it would make my life easier. It would make my job easier. But the Bible doesn't answer every question. Now, we could fill in the gaps. We could make up our own answers. Or we could instead spend time listening to what the Bible does say. Why do people suffer? Truth is, I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that the gardener has given you and I one more chance, one more year, one more opportunity to bear fruit, one more chance to make this world better, one more opportunity to show God's love to those who are suffering. What are you going to do with your year? What are you going to do with your opportunity. There's no doubt that there are people who are suffering. And Jesus wants to know today, what are you going to do?